Welcome to Building the Future. I'm your host, Kevin Hark. You can check out new episodes of the show every Tuesday and Thursday at 2 p.m. If you missed an episode or want to get more information about the show, please visit buildingthefutureshow.com. Welcome back to the show. Today we have Christina DePaolo, strategic communications consultant, leadership coach, and founder of Daily Work Life. Christina, welcome to the show. Hi, Kevin. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on the show today. I think what you're doing is is actually really quite interesting and you have quite an impressive background. But before we maybe get into um, exactly what you're doing now, let's get to know you a little bit better and um, cover kind of where you grew up. That's great. That's great. Um, I was born and raised in New Jersey. I guess you could call me a Jersey girl. Sure. Um, and uh, I, you know, went to a very nice middle class high school okay. um, in northern New Jersey. I uh, went to college here. I did my undergraduate work at Rutgers College. Okay. What did you um, in take? Economics. Oh, okay. I studied economics. Um, the dismal science, as they call it. I actually uh, started out as a French language major, um, but I wound up minoring in that and then finishing up in economics. Um, went out, got a job, like most people did, um, right during the real big boom of Wall Street um, in the late 1980s. Gotcha. And, you know, decided after I had been working for a few years doing investment accounting, which for people who know me really well, would say that that's probably the oddest job fit that they could imagine. <laughs> um, I decided I, I kind of wanted to make a change, even though, you know, money and economic markets and the financial markets is theoretically interesting to me. It's not something that I enjoyed on a day-to-day basis. So um, I started to pursue graduate studies in corporate communications. Um, oh, okay. And I got a master's from Seton Hall University, again, a, a Jersey school, a really good private Jersey school. Um, and I started to shift my career over to focusing on communications and not really knowing what exactly I wanted to focus on at the time. I just knew that I kind of wanted to work in that area. Um, so my employer, um, which was a large insurance company, uh, was really, you know, they, they were really amenable to me kind of making that shift and moving from, you know, investment and portfolio accounting over into more communications and marketing-related work. And it, it kind of allowed me to, to find my way. And eventually, I moved over into sales communications, um, field support communications, and then more executive work. And when I finished up my um, grad degree, it was a perfect opportunity for me to kind of leave that initial employer and then jumped to a new one. So I moved to um, PR work at okay. Moody's Investor Service, one of the one of the large and well-known rating agencies sure. in New York. Um, and I worked with them for about four or so years. Um, had a, had a lot of fun there. It's a really interesting, it's an arcane kind of business, but it's it's really fascinating as well. And I wound up doing um, external and media relations support for two of the largest analytical franchises there, the Financial Institutions Group, um, so banks and sovereign nations and large financial you know, companies, securities companies, as well as their structured finance group, um, which was equally fascinating. So, you know, a lot of the stuff that you read about with all of these rather esoteric um, securities that, you know, were behind the financial crisis in 2008, 
and this was a number of years before that, you know, I worked helping to support that group. So I really learned a lot about those products at that time. Um, but then, you know, life intervened, and sure. I moved from being in the financial services industry to moving over to the pharmaceutical industry. Um, and in New Jersey at the time, this was around 2000, 2001, you know, you you couldn't really drive anywhere um, for more than about 10 or so miles without seeing, a, you know, a large pharmaceutical company. The, the state has changed a bit since that time. Okay. A lot of companies have moved to other areas. But at that point, it, it was, you know, there were a lot around. And um, my husband and I were starting our family, and I said I really wanted to work in a place that was closer to home because my life was changing. Sure. No, that makes and, a lot of sense. Absolutely. You know, I, I, it's funny. I'm sure that you've had instances where, you know, you, you kind of have an idea in your mind as to where you want your career to go. Totally. And then something happens in your life and you're like, oh, gee, maybe I'll try something different. Or maybe what I thought was important isn't as important anymore. Totally. No, that, yeah, no, I, I think that everybody kind of goes through that at some point, right? I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. And, and you know, you almost have to have a bit of blind faith that, totally. okay, maybe this wasn't like in my big plan, but it's probably the smartest thing I could do. So what the heck, let me just do it. Sure. So you, you kind of jumped around a bunch of industries. At what point did you yep. kind of decide to do your own thing? Well, you know, when I moved to pharma, I kind of, you know, timing is everything, right? So when I moved over to pharma, the industry was really going through a huge merger and acquisition period. Okay. So I joined a company that doesn't exist anymore um, that was bought out by Pfizer. And I, you know, for various reasons, I stayed with Pfizer. Um, and because I was there after they had bought not only my company, but another company just prior to that, there was a lot of change going on. And I started to move into doing more communications that was focused on integrating companies together. Okay, interesting. Um, stayed with them for a while. And, and you know, for a lot of those companies, now companies are kind of used to it. I, I think that there's been a lot more of that activity, especially in the pharmaceutical industry in the past decade, decade and a half. But at the time, it was a little novel. So, you know, there was a lot that we were kind of like trying to figure out. Um, which I found really, really fascinating. And you really wind up looking at how people are working and the organizations that they're working in and figuring out, you know, this is a lot more than just focusing on what's happening outside and are you making your sales and are you discovering new products. How people work and how they think and feel about their work on the inside determines almost everything. I mean, it, it, it helps drive how successful you're going to ultimately be. So let's, let's pay attention to this because it's really important. Um, and, and that gave me an appreciation. I think that if I hadn't gone through that experience, I would never have gained. Interesting. So I, I stayed with them. Yeah, it really was. It was, it was pretty cool. Yeah, no, I, I love, like, I'm always kind of fascinated by how people kind of get to where they are. And like you just kind of mentioned it, a lot of it's based on kind of like life experience. Oh, yeah, I know. I, I, you know, I'll sometimes say that I've been the recipient of a lot of happy accidents sure. in my life. 
Um, you know, and I think you just have to be smart enough, like, you know, okay, I get the sign, I get the big sign from, from the above, from the universe, so I'll just go with it. Sure. Um, but then I, you know, I, I left that company, went to another um, pharmaceutical company, and they turned around and they then suddenly did a big merger, like, you know, seven, eight months after I joined them. Wow. And because they hadn't done a lot of them in the past, they sort of pulled me up into a really, you know, uh, critical role in terms of the integration, in the integration management office. So that was great. And and it, it kind of, you know, it helped me along the way say, I find this work to be really interesting. You know, helping a company as it's trying to go through something that in many ways is uncomfortable but necessary. Right. And at the same time, it really helped me start looking at how do leaders fit into that whole process? You know, are they, are they ready for what they're being called on to do? Um, or do they recognize that they need to get better or more skillful at something? Because so much hinges on how they lead an organization and a company through these times of really transformational change. So a few years after that, in, in late 2011, I, I thought, you know, I kind of wanted to go out on my own for a few years, but it just didn't feel right. You know, my gut told me, not yet, not yet. And suddenly in 2011, the time was right. Okay. So that's that's when I made the move. I'm, I'm always curious, like, what was the, like, did something in your gut just kind of change? Or, or what was the feeling or, or like, what was the... Was there like some sort of thing that happened that was like, okay, this is the right time or, or you just kind of knew? Mm -hmm. I, I, yes. I mean, kind of like, you know, the answer is yes to both. In a okay. Way. Um, what was happening in the company was that even though they had, you know, they had done the merger a year and a half prior at this point, um, they still had to do a lot more change. Okay. And having been on the inside, and, and the kind of change that they were doing was, you know, more restrictive, more, you know, we have to do this in order to get through the next few years kind of change, not why we're going to put forth a grand, brand new growth platform. And I've worked with companies on that, too. The, the feeling within the company and the mindset in those two scenarios is quite different. So what I was in... Um, what I was facing in 2011 was we're going to have to shrink a little bit more. And, you know, we're going to have to do more with less to get through the next few years. And having been through similar circumstances in the past, I said to myself, you know, I, I've been here before. I know what I want to do. What I want to do really is grow something. And although I could stay here, it was never a question of, you know, do I have a job or not? I thought, you know, Everything is kind of coming together perfectly, and this is the time now for me to make a move. Sure, and I guess like worst case scenario, you could always go back to the corporate world, right? Yes, yes. Although you know, I have to say that with more time, you know, with each year that I'm out on my own, I love working in corporate environments and having clients working in those environments, but. I don't know if I personally would ever want to go into that kind of environment again. Got you. Okay. No, that's that's totally fair. So, what what's the company and what 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 do you guys kind of do and kind of I guess what was the real reason you kind of decided to start start the company? 
Yes, yes. Um, so the company is Elysian Communications. So, okay. you know, that, that's a tip to, you know, the, in Greek mythology, the Elysian Fields, right? Paradise. Right. I, I didn't want to name the company after me. Um, just that's kind of like a personal thing. So, you know, I was sort of like trying to go through names um, and figure out something that sounded a little bit unique and kind of rolled off the tongue in, a, in an interesting way. And I'm like, you know, scrolling on the Internet and, and it just kind of appeared before me. So I thought, well, OK, that's a sign. Let's just run with it. But what we do is um, we focus on transformational change. So helping companies figure out how they want to talk about and drive the mindset when you have to do you know, some type of transformational change. So, you know, I do work within the M&A field. I do large-scale, you know, corporate transformation. The company says, gee, we have to, we have to kind of change the way that we're doing something um, fundamentally, maybe the way that we're structured, maybe the things that we want to focus on, the markets that we go after, um, maybe just the way that we organize ourselves. Um, as well as helping, you know, so side by side with that is what are the cultural impacts of that? And what we do is that we'll come in and we'll say, okay, let's first help leadership figure out based on the strategy that you have and the goals that you set forth, let's build the right framing story behind this. Um, and, you know, I, I use the term story or, or narrative somewhat interchangeably, but, but in a really important way because, you know, humans respond very well to stories. Sure. You know, it, it's how we really learn things. It's how we pass information down from one generation to the next. So you can approach a business audience, and a lot of companies are starting to understand this more. But you can, you know, you could throw up facts and figures and talk about market dynamics and et cetera, et cetera, you know, until people's eyes glaze over. But when you tell them a story about where you are right now, and where you want to be, and how we're going to get there. What's the journey to get there? People respond in a different way. Sure. Um, it becomes more real to them, and they start to see how they fit in, which is really important because you want your people to understand, how do I fit in? Or you want your customers to understand, well, how do I fit in here? What does this mean to me? It's not exclusive to an internal population. So we come in and, you know, we kind of help, you know, pull that thinking together, pull together then, you know, what are the steps, what are the strategies that you want to employ in order to help people move through this change um, and to do it in a way that doesn't interrupt what the business is fundamentally doing as much as possible. And coupled with that is leadership. So, you know, sure, it's one thing to say, okay, we're going to create leader talking points or, or things that we want leaders to do. But the second part of, of the business, which is an area that, that I've been flexing into more as of late, focuses on helping leaders through coaching, through performance coaching, um, become better at what they do and who, and who they are as leaders. Um, and, you know, and I, I talk about those two aspects with, with great, you know, intentional purpose. Because oftentimes leaders really lean into what it is that they are technically really good at. 
But being a leader also requires someone to take on a different kind of role. Totally. You know, there's there's a certain level of symbolism and, and authority behind just being a leader. So how are you standing up within that role? And how do you want to or need to stand up in that role? What are you blinded to? Um, and how how can we then, through coaching, get you to the place where you want to or you need to be? No, I, I think that's... That that's really cool that you're you're doing this because like I you know part part the main reason I wanted to have you on the show is because I think what what ends up happening is a lot of the audience that listens to the show are kind of doing a startup or involved in a startup and you know sometimes they start off as like a two man team and then over mm-hmm. you know three to five years they might grow to hundreds of people and just just going through like huge organizational changes like that is a huge issue in, in kind of the startup kind of space and, and in a lot of mm-hmm. other industries. But um, just even just with my own experience in that, where I've seen teams grow kind of quite fast and, and quite um, it can be quite challenging with trying to figure out, you know, how do we restructure the culture you know, we don't want to ruin the culture, but it obviously needs right. to change now that, you know, there's going to be, you know, potentially people on different floors, maybe even in different buildings, maybe mm-hmm. across mm-hmm. the country or, or in other, maybe even in other countries. Right. And so just yeah. like, I, I just kind of wanted you, that that's kind of why I wanted to have you on the show originally, mm-hmm. because that really resonates with, with not only myself, but I'm, I'm sure tons of listeners out there because like you mentioned, and as people, you know, maybe, maybe it was just you and a friend doing a little project and now you're managing a team of like 30 people. Right. And, yeah. and you're out of your element, like you just kind of mentioned, um, where now you're kind of managing people and maybe you're not doing what you're passionate about necessarily. And I think people struggle with that, right? Like myself included. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's it's a really big issue, and it's one that people find oftentimes catches up to them. Sure. Like, they, they don't see it coming, and all of a sudden you wake up one day, and, you know, like you said, wait a minute, we were like two people, it was me and my partner, and now we're 30. Yep. And I'm now dealing with all of these management and leadership kinds of things, right? I mean, it was simpler when we were just the two of us doing the work. But on the other hand, I'm building something. I don't want to back away from that. I don't want to suddenly scale down. You know, it's, it's kind of a good problem to have. Um, it's it's an issue, but, it, but it's, it's a good thing to grapple with. And I think that the, the thing that anyone who is moving up into leadership roles, whether it's, you know, in a rather prescribed sort of steady, you know, career ladder fashion, or suddenly it's sort of thrust upon you because you've been phenomenally successful at what you're doing. Your role has changed deeply and fundamentally. Sure. And it's really important to put your head around that. You know, you're not the person working side by side anymore. You're the person who people are turning to for direction and support. And sometimes, maybe a weird thing to say, sort of like comfort. Totally. Um, you know, you, you, you 
a leader, I knew this um, CIO once years ago who said, you know, a leader does a couple of things. You know, a leader doesn't get down in the weeds. A leader has to understand what's happening, right? You can't just abdicate everything sure. to the people working under you. You have to make sure that you know what's going on, but not on a, you know, day-to-day detailed basis. But you have to set the strategy. So where are we going and how do we want to get there? Sure. You help figure out what the work environment should be, you know, the culture. What, what's important to us? Do we all agree? And how do we want to keep making what's important to us part of how we function on a regular basis so that, so that it, it becomes infused in what the company is? Um, a good leader clears the obstacles for people. Okay. So, you know, if there's an obstacle, a financial obstacle, or there's an obstacle with, you know, clients or, or having to partner with people, the big, hairy obstacle, a leader clears those pathways so that their people can, you know, keep moving forward again. And then there's this symbolic role that a leader plays, um, which I think is probably the piece that may catch most people sort of by surprise. Um you know, organizationally, you're you're kind of a different person. You know, you're 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 part of the group, but you're also a little bit detached from the group because you're leading them. Interesting. And we all have certain kinds of um, assumptions about who leaders are and what they need to do. You know, I mean, like it, right now in the U.S. The 2016 presidential cycle is, like, unbelievably fascinating. You know, no matter where no matter where you are in the political spectrum, we haven't seen something like that for a long time. Sure. And what's interesting is that when you look at who people are supporting, whoever that individual is, whether it's Democrat or Republican, they're looking at that person and saying, yeah, that person gets me. Interesting. They're... Yeah representing either who I am or who I want to be. So organizationally, when you start to move up in that leadership role, there's, there's that dynamic that's going on with the people in your organization, um, especially people who are either newer in the organization or a couple of rungs down. So being comfortable knowing that people are, are looking at me in a somewhat aspirational fashion is something I think that, that is important for leaders to, to really think about and, and to become comfortable with. Sure. I, I think like, because I kind of manage a, a team of designers now, and I, sometimes I kind of struggle with with almost like that role a little bit because like you just mentioned, mm-hmm. like people kind of look to you for guidance. And sometimes it's just like, sometimes you don't really know what you're doing, I guess, for lack of a better term, right? <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And, you know, and if, and if I was, was going to coach you right through this, um, what we would first start to talk about is what does that do to you? What, what does feeling that, gee, they're looking, they're looking at me and I, I may not have the answer. It's first kind of understanding what, what is that tapping into in you? Is there some kind of discomfort that you have in being in that role that suddenly being put on the spot is bringing up for you. Um, and then start to work through, okay, how do we kind of look at that objectively? 
and then say, well, then what are the things that you can do to help move through that situation? So maybe it's depending upon your relationship with the group and how comfortable you are. Maybe it's saying, you know, I don't have a specific answer right now. Um, let's work on it, right? Let's, let's lay out everything that's before us and let's figure that out. Um, you know, in Western cultures in particular, that works really well because, you know, we kind of like to feel that, yeah, the leader is someone apart from me, but I can also access that leader, right? And they kind of know who I am and, and you know, there's, there's a familiarity between them. Um, or maybe in that scenario, you would say, you know, I, I need to think about it a little bit and then go off and, you know, try and problem solve there. Um, you have a lot of flexibility as a leader in how you react as long as you're reacting in a way that people sense is really authentic. Okay, that's good advice. That makes sense. But, uh, but yeah, no, it's, it's, it is. It's, it's, it's a different game, right? Being a leader is a different game. And the further, the larger your organization becomes and the further distanced you are within that structure from, you know, the entry-level employees, um, the more symbolic your role tends to become. Sure. No, I, I think that's, that's, that's really interesting, and it kind of gets me thinking about some stuff. Um, but maybe let's transition a little bit. You also have a blog called dailyworklife.com, and there's a lot of yeah. kind of really good um, information and stuff on that. Like, what... Why did you kind of start it and kind of what kind of stuff do you guys cover on that? So I, I started, it'll be three years actually in May. I started oh, wow, that's in awesome. May of Congrats. 2013. Yeah, like sitting, thank you, thank you, sitting in a coffee shop, right? And I, uh, um, and you know, I wanted to, I, I like to write and I, I had wanted to create a platform where I could really, at first, it was really talking about the experience of working because having worked within different um, traditional environments for so long, sure, I really saw the impact that where you work has on you as a person, um, both positively and negatively. You know, how well, how, how well do you like the people you work with, right? Do you like the team? Do you believe in the work that you're doing? Sure. Or is it just a job? Um, do you trust your leaders or not? Um, you know, do you feel that they have, you know, a real concern for you as an individual and, and as a professional? So, you know, I, I started to explore into that area more. And lately I've been writing more about leadership and, you know, and what it means to be a leader and how leaders respond and, and some of the dilemmas that, that they face. And I did it, you know, partly because, I just kind of wanted to get my opinions out there. Sure. Um, but also because I, I wanted to keep exploring some of the ideas that I just talked about um, and try and, you know, find a way to develop them a little bit more clearly into, in, into sort of like a standing theory. Um, I, I think that where technology is right now and the ability for people to put information out on these, these broad and accessible platforms. Um, and yes, there's a lot out there, so it may be hard for, you know, for the average person to stumble upon. But the fact that more people now are able to take their experience and take their viewpoints and put it out 
and, you know, sort of present it um, for the reading pleasure of anybody who is interested in following it, I think is a, is a really great thing. I think it's fantastic. No, totally. Um, because it, it allows for more democracy of, of opinion and viewpoint. Um, I would love to one day be able to take some of the topics that I discuss in daily work life um, and turn them into a book, turn them into a speaker series, you know, really move forward with that. Um, but right now it's, it's almost like a lab where I'm kind of experimenting at this point. But, um, and, the, you know, and the response has been good. So I'm happy about that. But, but I think that's awesome. And I, I love the fact that you know, like you just kind of said, you're you're basically putting your opinions and thoughts out there and you're, you're experimenting a bit. And, you know, there's going to be people that agree with you. There's going to be people that disagree with you. But but that's kind of the, the beauty of kind of po- posting stuff online. Right. And you yeah. can you create this discussion around it and, you know, you're adding content and you're adding value to people out there. And it, it's it's interesting because. A lot of people that are coming up nowadays almost like need a mentor or sites or resources to kind of help them through issues that other people have been through, right? And some people mm-hmm. aren't comfortable reaching out to somebody and saying, I need help, but they're fine reading, you know, resources online to, to kind of help them through certain things, right? And I think what, what you're doing at kind of the dailyworklife.com is doing that. Well, thank you. Thank you. And, and your, your point about people reaching out, especially younger people coming up, is absolutely right, absolutely spot on. When I first got out of college, um, you know, and working in a more traditional um, structure, there were programs where there were mentor programs. I mean, but I'm talking like real formal mentor programs, not, you know, oh, yeah, you know, I'll find a mentor somewhere where you would be matched up with someone. Um, and that person, you know, someone who was older, more experienced would be a sounding board for you um, and help, you know, give you advice and, and answer questions and introduce you to other people. And depending upon how interested you were, you could, you know, really take advantage of that relationship, especially if it was someone who was taking that relationship seriously as the mentor. Um, but over time, there's there's almost this, I guess, this perspective or this attitude that, you know, we're all individual actors and you're all kind of out on your own. Um, and so you have to navigate yourself, which is good, but to a point. Because if you're looking at someone who is just getting out and, you know, everything is kind of new to them and they don't know what they don't know without having people that they can turn to, that they can profit from their experience or their perspective, or even look at them as a cautionary tale. Like, gee, you know, if I think about it, I don't know if I'd want to wind up where that person is when I'm that person's age. Um, you know, without having that, it becomes a lot harder, I think, to build a career. Um, you know, the, the first, you know, Kevin, I could t- tell you probably the first half dozen jobs that I had, um, I was just like trying to find stuff that was interesting to me. I was never the kind of person who had 
a very serious, well-documented career path. Um, it was more, yeah, that looks kind of interesting. All right, I'll try that for a while. And then it wound up opening my eyes to something that, you know, I couldn't have known before I got involved with it. And then I just sort of bounced from, from one spot to another. But I always had people around me that I could turn to if I had a question who could provide some perspective. Um, so I, I think it's, it's really important if people today coming up can find those, pla- those people or those places where they can start to, to profit from, from someone else's experience and perspective to help them figure out what's going to work best for them in the long run. I, I think people don't realize, and I would say myself included, that you don't understand how important experience is until you have experience. And it kind of sounds stupid to say, (laughs) but like, you're right, right? Is if you haven't been through something, you don't really know, or you, you probably can't even comprehend in certain cases, everything that could happen because you haven't been through what could happen, you know? Exactly. Exactly. I, you know, it, it's funny to me. It's sort of um, analogous to becoming a parent for the first time. I have two kids. Sure. Um, a teenager and a uh, and a middle schooler. Got you. And you can read like every book out there. Totally. And you know, talk to everyone and say, "Okay, I got it. I'm ready," et cetera, et cetera. But you don't know it deep in your bones. Until you experience it. Totally. And, you know, in many ways, navigating and building a career, building a life is the same thing. And it's, it's important to try and find places where or people who can give you their perspective and their experience. And you may not experience it exactly the same way they do. In fact, the odds are you won't. Sure. But it's learning. Um, it's, it's knowledge, it's perspective. You know, I, I had profited from having formal mentors early in my career. Um, and it's a shame that over time, those formal programs have sort of gone away. And now the feeling is, you know, everyone is out on their own. So for people coming up, the question becomes for them, you know, who do I talk to? How can I gain that perspective? Yeah, they may not, you know, someone who's 60 years old, for example, may not really understand um, what working in a startup environment is like. And, you know, they certainly don't understand different work styles and, you know, things being much more remote and flexible. And, you know, they, they may not have experienced that as much in their career as me just coming up is going to. But there are some consistencies as far as how people are and how people act within businesses or, you know, or organizations, um, what tends to happen when they do have to grow very rapidly or shrink very rapidly, that that older person can give you that perspective and, and kind of searching out, let me, let me take advantage of what other people have gone through and what their viewpoints are probably can open my mindset up more and I I can just get better from it. No, no, that that totally makes sense and I, I think that's that's really good advice. So I'm kind of curious, you also contribute to the Huffington Post. What what yep. exactly kind of stuff do you cover on on that? 
So that's more, I, I have to say, there's not as much rhyme or reason with that. Um, okay, so well, that's good, though. The, <laughs> the first few posts I did um, for them, and, you know, I, and I write for them periodically. I try and write, you know, uh, roughly quarter on a quarterly basis for them because, you know, I want to give more focus and attention to daily work life, sure. uh, which is my blog. Um, but I first started writing about... Um, the first post actually was about language um, okay. within a business and the idea of feminine versus masculine language and how just the way that we talk about setting business goals and what we talk about as far as successful results and successful behavior, you know, if it has too much of a tinge of the masculine versus the feminine, do you wind up sort of cutting out the experience of or the the wider viewpoint of sort of half of human existence, you know, sure. and what does that mean? What would it mean if a company set goals that maybe used language that was not traditionally masculine in nature, you know, sort of challenge yourself and see how that changes the way that you look at your work. Um, but you know, I've written about I've written about leadership. I've written I, I've written about for them politics, okay. um, sort of through the lens of leadership as well. You know, not so much like political reporting. So the Huffington Post, you know, to me is it's it's just fun. Um, sure. You know, it's more fun stuff that I write about for them. Um, I had written about um, there was one that I really liked uh, that I wrote about the coach of the Seattle Seahawks. Um, and you know, he takes, he, he's well known for having a very yoga centered perspective on, you know, how he, he trains the athletes on the team and what he has them do. Um, and how, you know, he owned up to a call at the end of the Super Bowl. Um, I think it was it last, I think it might've been last year where they ultimately lost and it was, it was the worst, you know, wasn't a good call in retrospect, but he was fine with it. And I thought, you know, as a leader, that's phenomenal because sure. he, he owned up to it. He said, you know, it's, it's one decision in a series of decisions. Um, and although I'm not happy, it didn't work out well, you know, I'm not going to kick myself forever on it. I'm not going to hinge everything that I do just on that one decision because that's not realistic. And I, you know, I, I thought that that was great. Yeah, no, no, that's awesome. So I'm kind of curious, how did you end up getting, you know, kind of a writing gig at, at such a big kind of, you know, publication? <laughs> so remember earlier I said, like, I, I'm, you know, I think my life is like I'm the recipient of a series of happy accidents. Sure. So, I was at a conference. There's a conference that's held in San Francisco each year um, in February called Wisdom 2.0. Okay. Um, and they've been running it, I think, for about five or six years at this point. And I went in 2014 and 2015. I didn't go this year, but I'll, um, I'm sure I'll go back next year. And the the focus of the conference is sort of the connection point between technology um, and they've expanded it to, you know, focus a little bit on, on business too, but technology and, and wisdom and, you know, the, these ideas of more Eastern based philosophies about life and how they're coming together. And a lot of tech companies on the West coast 
you know, try and you know, they, they offer yoga, they offer meditation, they, they, they have roles within their organizations of people who are sort of like the wise one um, to help the organization. So this conference brings together all these different kinds of thinkers. So, they, you know, they bring together doctors and, you know, and, and biochemists and, and, you know, psychologists as well as, you know, meditation experts and, and gurus and business leaders and tech leaders and all that kind of stuff. So when I went the first year, one of the main platform speakers was Arianna Huffington. Okay. And, you know, she was talking about language, which, you know, kind of, you know, triggered me to write that, that first post. And she said in the middle of her speech, and there probably were close to like a thousand people in the room, she said, and if you have anything that, you know, that you want to share or you want to write about, here's, here's my email address. Really? Right. So, of course, I wrote it down. Yeah, I mean, I thought that was really, that was gutsy, right? Just say, oh, by the way, and here's my email address to a room of strangers. Sure. So, I wrote the piece. You know, I was just kind of inspired to write the piece. I wrote the piece, and then I wrote her, right? She said, here's my email. Um, so, I took her up on it, and I wrote her and, you know, noted that, you know, she had inspired me to write this. And, you know, if she finds it interesting, that's great. But, you know, I wasn't looking for anything specific out of it and she said this is fantastic and you know emailed me back said this is this is great I'm going to connect you with you know my editor who's in charge of you know our blogging core and she'll get you set up so you know from that point that I got I got set up so whenever I you know want to contribute something I just you know go through they have you know a system the whole you know platform where you where you submit your post and and there you go that's awesome. I, I, yeah. I think I think that's really kind of good advice for people. Like these people give their email addresses away because they do want to hear from people, right? And that's right. And if you that's don't right. ask, you will never kind of receive, right? Like chances are Absolutely. she probably never would have just like picked you out of a crowd and said, Do you want to write something for me? Like you right. you kind of have to take the initiative to do this. And I think that's kind of one of the things that I've been trying to kind of stress through a number of episodes um, of the show is, you know, things happen to people that basically go after it, you know? Yes. And, yes. and you know, sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't, but at the end of the day, you just need to keep trying until something works out, right? And I think that's awesome how, <laughs> you know, now you ended up, you know, writing and contributing to the Huffington Post just by basically sending a post yourself, right? Exactly. And, and, and you know, and Kevin, the point you make, and there's, there's, there's this fantastic nuance in the point that you just made, that when you do something, you know, you put yourself out there, you try something new, you pursue something. I find that if there's a certain level of detachment you have to the result of it, it just tends to work out better. Totally. So, for example, if if I sent that email to her and thought, all right, what's my ulterior motive? What am I going to get out of it? She's a very powerful and influential woman. It would have just, I'm, I'm convinced, it would have just fallen flat. Sure. But I sent it because she inspired me to do something. I had a way of connecting with her, and I sent it to her. And, and literally, within like 24 hours, she answered me back. I mean, that was one of those moments where, like, you jump back from the keyboard and you're like, whoa, what just happened? Totally. But 
I didn't, there was a joy that I had, and that's the bigger point, really. There was a joy that I had in doing it. And when you try new things or you take, you know, you take someone up on their offer, if you're doing it and feeling joy and satisfaction and and a sense that, God, I'm doing really what I'm meant to do, you know, what really fires everything that's in me then it kind of doesn't matter what happens in the end. Totally. What, what matters is that you feel that you're at like your optimum functioning level. Like, like I get why I'm here. This is great. And then everything that comes after it, you know, it's just, it's just like gravy. It's, 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 it's icing on the cupcake. No, no totally. I, I, I think that's, that's really good advice. And I, I love kind of, people like yourself that are kind of willing to share those stories of how they, because sometimes it seems so glamorous and let you, you need to like, I I don't know how some people describe it sometimes, but people sometimes think it's more complicated than it really is. Right. Mm -hmm. Like you basically wrote a post and sent her an email and we're like, what do you think? You know, you inspired me. And I think at the end of the day, these people are just human beings and, you know, yeah. it's got to be a good ego stroke that if you go to something and you're you're talking and then somebody that you were talking to was inspired to do something and then sends it to you, you have to feel good about that, right? And, like, I know mm-hmm. when, like, somebody comes up to me even and says, like, oh, this show, like, inspired me to do this, you're like, awesome. Like, that's fantastic. <laughs> yeah. You feel great about it, right? And it's... Exactly. You kind of want to help them out if you can or connect them with somebody or or whatever, right? Like you kind of feel like you just – it's just a good feeling for everybody. And I think it makes a lot of sense and I I love that kind of story. It's so – you know, in in a sense, it it taps into this really fundamental human need that we have. And the last post that I did on Daily Work Life talks about that. Humans want to be connected. Totally. You know, we, we want to help each other out, as cynical as we can be. Um, and it's very easy to look out at the world and see everything that goes wrong. But there's, there's just such happiness and joy from, you know, connecting with someone. We're built to want to do that. And when we do it in a way that feels really good for us, then it just keeps paying off the dividend because then you've influenced that other person, whether you're conscious of it or not. And then if, if they accept that connection, right. In the fullness that, that it was meant, then they, they're going to go out and connect with somebody else. Totally. You know, and before you know it, you have a lot of really good things coming along. Um, as opposed to, let me think about what I can get out of it exactly for me and, you know, everybody else be damned. No, totally. I, I think that's really good advice. But sadly, we're out of time. So maybe let's close the show with um, kind of <laughs> mentioning where people can find, um, you know, the company, the blog, and any other social yep. media links you want to uh, mention. Oh, that'd be perfect. So the blog is dailyworklife.com. So just like it sounds, dailyworklife.com. Um, the, my company website is Elysian communications.com, um, which 
the spelling of, of Elysian for, for those who are unfamiliar is E-L-Y-S-I-A-N and then communications.com. Um, you can also find me on LinkedIn. Um, I do, uh, I do posts on LinkedIn as well. I'll, you know, repurpose stuff that I put uh, from the past and daily work life and I'll, I'll post that up on LinkedIn also. And also on Twitter. You can find me on Twitter under my name, Christina DePaulo. Perfect. And I'll post those in the show notes as well so people can go to the website and uh, get those links as well. But uh, I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to be on the show. And, you know, I'm excited to follow your progress throughout the rest of the year and kind of be on. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you, Kevin. It, this has been wonderful. I, I, I thank you for inviting me to, uh, to participate in the show. And I wish you nothing but continued success with it. I hope it continues to grow in leaps and bounds. Yeah, thanks very much, and uh, you as well. And uh, yeah, we'll we'll be in touch soon. And uh, have a good rest of your day. Thank you. You too. Okay. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. The music for the show is done by Electric Mantra. You can check them out at electricmantra.com. And keep them in the future.